0: And a leader in Christian ministry for many, many years. Um, in fact, the first time I ever met you or saw you, Simon, was at Capital Teen Convention in Wellington. Anybody else experienced the joy? And the, No, but Capital Teen Convention. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, growing up, going down to this really fantastic talent show, which was all of New Zealand getting together for this talent show in New Zealand. And you don't know how many people, Simon, I have known that have come out of that and are now ministering, That's it's pretty cool. So we go way back and uh, Simon is now practicing law. And I think the question we all wanna know is, is it really like suits? Exactly the same as suits, he says. It's like the New Zealand suits. It's, he's like the New Zealand Harvey Specter. Can you join me in welcoming Simon Greening as he comes to share with us? More like the New Zealand Lewis Litz. How is everyone tonight? Yes. That's good. Does anyone watch suits here? Am I the only one? Oh, it's so se- They are renewing season eight, by the way, um, which is so exciting. Anyway, um, oh, thanks for the water. Um, great to be back tonight. The last time I was speaking here, I was talking about politics. It was one week out from the general election. Who was here for that? Oh, nice, all right. So, tonight I, um, <clears throat> General election has been and gone. Tonight I wanna to talk about something different, and I'm excited about the word I have to share tonight because it's, I, haven't, I didn't tell you, um, Pastor Vex, what I was sharing tonight, but it lines up with um, her word that she was talking about at the end of Deuteronomy, so I'm excited about that, that hopefully we are on the same page. So tonight I wanna to talk about something that we all experience, and that is time. Let me talk to you tonight about time. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are Warren Buffett or you are Donald J. Trump or you are living in a slum in Mumbai. We all have 24 hours a day in which to spend our time. Time is the great equaler, right? Time is like death. We can't do much about death. It comes to all of us. And time is the same as that. We all have 24 hours a day in which to spend. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers in the US, he began each day by writing the same question in his journal, what good shall I do this day? And at night, before he went to bed, he wrote in his journal this question, what good have I done today? As a lawyer, I know all about time because lawyers charge for the minute. Now we're on that phone call to you for the minutes that we're spending time drafting that email. So here's the trick, do not ring your lawyer, it is far too expensive. So lawyers normally bill for six minutes units of time, so 10 units in an hour and that's how it rolls. And so people should be very nervous about contacting their lawyer. And professional services are the, fa- the same, right? Accounting firms are the same, they also bill by time. Time is how we work out what the fee should be for that particular client. And um, of course, human beings have been fascinated by time, the concept of time, how we might use time for, well, ever since time began really, human beings are so fascinated that we've made all sorts of movies about time. We make movies about what it might look like to travel through time. Maybe what would the, what would the world look like um, you know, in time out there in the future? Or we think about what it would be like to go back in a time machine, with Doc and Marty McFly and um, Back to the Future and there's cool hoverboards. Maybe you're too young to remember, but they, they made these movies called Back to the Future in my day, and, um, and so we've always been fascinated by time. Another old school movie, of course, is Castaway. Um, I love um, Castaway. It's a, it's, it's a classic, this is how old I am, talking about these old movies tonight, but Castaway with a FedEx agent, he lives and dies by the clock, except for one day, he's caught in the storm and on, his, on, on the plane, going to deliver some parcels, he ends up on the island, and he has kind of like a, you know, interesting experience, builds a friendship with a ball called Wilson, and, um, and he realizes on the island, you can't even control time. You can't control time. You might live and die by the clock, but when you're in that scenario, he, he, he kind of, it's a really interesting movie about this idea that no one can even control um, time when that happens to you. I'm so fascinated by time and how people spend time that I bought a book called Daily Rituals, which looks at all the famous people who have ever lived and their daily rituals. And it was interesting for me, but you know, I'm quite a boring person. And so, I mean, you look at a book like um, Beethoven, you look at people like Beethoven, Picasso, Einstein, you know, I I can sum up the book for you, so you don't have to read it, because you're thinking, I'm going to go to Wickles right now and buy Daily Habits, let me sum it up for you. All of these guys, number one, they pretty much got up early in the morning, they worked till about 11 o'clock, then they stopped work, most of them finished, and then most of them just went for basically long walks until about four in the afternoon. They decided then to kind of have some dinner and do some work in the evening. And they also spent a lot of time sleeping in the afternoon as well. Interesting rituals. My wife, my wife, Lisa, hates mornings. I love mornings. My wife at nine o'clock, she wants to kind of have the big DNA with me and the full on, you know, hardcore conversations. But that's not my style. I'm a morning person and um, Lisa is an evening person. So we all experience time differently. So let's go back tonight in time. Moses has just led the people out of Egypt, and um, they're traveling through the wilderness, and we know that through their travel through the wilderness, the people of Israel often will complain. Complaining seems to be kind of part of human nature. That's why we have talk back, right? And um, the people are complaining to Moses. Moses, why did you kind of lead us out here into the wilderness? Because we're gonna starve. We've got these difficult you know, other peoples that we're gonna have to kind of conquer, and this is too far too difficult. Why would God lead us out into the wilderness? So the people are complaining to God, and they're also complaining to Moses. And what we realize is that Moses often would pray, he'd pray for the people of God, he'd pray for Israel, and he'd intercede, if you like, on their behalf. And one of the most famous prayers that Moses prayed is what we're gonna look at tonight is in Psalm 90. Moses, after one particular episode, most Bible scholars think that, uh, this was Numbers chapter 14, you don't have to go there tonight, but there was a big episode. There was a really, they had a really bad night. It was a really difficult night. And after that episode, Moses decided they reckon to basically, um, this is, um, he, he basically prayed this prayer, which was, which was carried down through, through the centuries, this kind of oral prayer, and ultimately um, written down. So Psalm 90 is what I wanna talk about just for a, a brief moment. Let me just read Psalm ninety. To you it's such a great prayer lord you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting you are god you turn people back to dust saying return to dust you mortals a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by like a watch in the night yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death they are like the new grass in the morning in the morning it springs up new by evening it is dry and withered We are consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. You have set our sin, our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away." How great is the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble." May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children, and may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It's a great prayer. And it was a prayer that Moses wrote after a hard night when he had the people of God, people of Israel, complaining to him. He wrote this beautiful prayer, Psalm 19. Over the years, I've been to numerous time management seminars. I've listened to all sorts of people talk about how do we manage time? The thing about time management is if you go along to a seminar on how the best way it is to manage your time, you start with, this, you start with well, what are your, what's your, what are your goals? What are your dreams? What is your vision? And then you go from there down to, what priorities do you have to put in place to achieve your goal, your dreams, and your visions? And then you step back and you say, well, what tasks do I have to complete today to get me on the path to achieve those priorities and ultimately achieve those particular goals or tasks? Here's the thing, time management philosophy, how you manage time puts human beings right at the center. But here's the beautiful thing about Psalm 90. Moses says at the start, at the center of how we manage time should be God, not us. There's nothing wrong with goals or visions or dreams. In fact, God has designed human beings to have dreams and visions and and goals. That's how we're made. But, But Moses says right at the beginning there, Psalm 90, right in the first verse, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, before time began, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God, you're at the center of how I will start my day. God, you're right there, right there in the beginning. And Psalm 90 is beautiful because it describes how God relates to time. Before creation, before the mountains were born, God, you existed outside of time. God, um, the Bible, Moses goes on, for you, God, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by. God exists out of time. And I love Isaiah 40, which says, he does not grow weary or tired. God doesn't tire like we do. He doesn't get exhausted. God is like this inexhaustible amount of of energy that we can lean on and we can go to and say, God, I need your energy. I need your strength because he exists outside of time. God exists outside of time. So tonight I want to kind of walk us through Psalm 90 and I want to talk about four attitudes, four attitudes to start your day. And with Monday morning tomorrow, tomorrow what, we need a kind of a bit of a motivational sermon, right? So tonight I want to share four attitudes to start your day based on Psalm 91. With me tonight, oh good. all right. The first attitude that we need to start our day based on this beautiful prayer, Psalm 90, is today. Today, when I wake up in the morning, today I will partner with God. A classic movie about a boy. Anyone seen about a boy? Oh man, I'm just I'm ripping out the old movies tonight while I'm trying to undo my water bottle. Um, oh brilliant movie about Will who um, played by Hugh Grant and he's a selfish 30 year old who um, wants no interaction with people he wants to live on his own he wants to be an island he doesn't want to connect with anyone at all and at the start of the movie it's brilliant you know he's talking about how hard it is for someone it would be to have a job you know because he actually he says that you know you need to break time down. You need to break your day down into units. Each unit is like a half an hour. So taking a bath, he says, that's like one unit. You know, Playing snooker, that's three units. Having a haircut, that's like five units. So he goes through at the beginning of the movie. And, um, and I like that because that's so often how we think about time. Right, We see time, when we wake up tomorrow morning, we see time as a unit to be spent or a time as a unit to be wasted. A time as a unit to be billed to a client or unchargeable time that I can't bill to the client. That's how we see time, right? Time as a unit. We go to school tomorrow, we go to uni, we go to work, we go to do, we, we, we're with our family, we're dropping the kids off at school, we're picking them up, we're doing the groceries. These are all activities. But the Bible actually starts with a different perspective in terms of how we should view time. The Bible says we shouldn't view time as just a, a bunch of units to be wasted or just be spent well. I mean, people, we know, we talk about this idea of just killing time. How you can kill time is quite interesting. But our Western view of time begins with this idea that it's a, it's a unit to be spent or wasted. The Bible begins with the fundamental proposition that we are actors in God's story. Tomorrow when you wake up, and you go off to university, you're an actor in God's story. Tomorrow when you wake up and you drop the kids off at school and you go to work or whatever tomorrow looks like, you are an actor in God's unfolding eternal drama. That's how Psalm 90 starts. The Bible starts with a fundamental point that God is at work in his world and we are actors in his unfolding drama. That's how we should view time. And therefore, time is not a bunch of units to be spent well or to be wasted, time is an opportunity for human beings to partner with what God is up to in the world. Time is an opportunity for human beings to partner with what God is already up to in the world around you, wherever that takes you tomorrow. Such a great thought that Moses has. Moses is in the middle of the wilderness, Psalm 90, the And God's people were not just waking up every day and thinking, oh my gosh, where are we gonna go today? Another day through the wilderness. They were part of God's story. They were part of what God was wanting to do. God was not saying to them, today is a whole bunch of units I'm gonna give you. Spend them how you like. No, no, you're an actor in my story, my eternal drama. I love this idea. Um, In Psalm 91, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You know, the Jewish people really fundamentally believed that to worship God, they had to go to the temple. To worship God the right way, they needed to go to the temple. And then one day, Israel, it got invaded. There was the Babylonian Empire, then there was the Persian Empire. They ransacked the temple. They burnt the temple to the ground. And historians reckon it was only when they were taken into captivity into Babylon, that's when the people of Israel realized, you know what, God, we don't need the temple to worship because you are with us. We dwell in you. Imagine tomorrow morning if you woke up and you said, today I'm partnering with what you are doing in my world, God. Where are you at work and I'm gonna partner with you? Where are you at work and I'm gonna partner with you? When the, when the Pharisees came to Jesus in John's gospel and they said, "Do you, are, you, <laughs> are you God's son? Jesus said, I see what my father is doing and I partner with him in that. I see what my father is doing and I do what he is doing. There are opportunities all around us. God is at work all around us. Last Monday morning, I was cupping off the ferry in town and I was talking to a soccer dad. I don't, He's not, I'm not a friend, like an acquaintance I know. And I saw him again on the ferry and randomly he said that he had purchased this DNA box recently to kind of trace his ancestry. And um, <coughs> And he said to me randomly, I mean, the ferry had now docked in town and we're about to get off and, you know, start the day. And he said, but, oh, you know, I was thinking about um, my ancestry and it got me kind of thinking a bit about, a bit about death so I'm standing there in the queue, hopping off the ferry, and I think, this is a great opportunity. This is a great moment. So we started having this kind of, you know, full-on conversation as we're wandering off the ferry up towards, um, into town there. And, um, and I just realized, I just felt God was at work in this guy. He was, he's, he was the one who kind of started this, uh, to open up this conversation. And funnily enough, I've just written a booklet um, I've written a booklet, I felt inspired to write a booklet, and it's called A Lawyer's Musings on Religion and the Meaning of Life, which I'm planning on to give to my clients and I'm, I'm gonna publish it soon in that. But, because I, I said to him, can I give you a copy? I haven't actually, it hasn't gone to print yet, but I'll give you my first copy um, to, um, to talk about it more. But you know, there are opportunities all around us. God is at work, God is at work in his life. All I had to be ready is to say, God, yeah, I'm on the ferry today. Yes, I'm going into work today. But, God, I'm an actor in your story and what you want to do today. We, um, we used to have a whole bunch of Lego that was all made up. Like, it was cars and trains and planes. But over the years, the kids, you know, totally busted it. So now, it all, we've got hundreds and hundreds of pieces of Lego. And they all just sit in a massive box with a random sheet. And um, every now and then, my son, Thomas, who's four, he wants me to break out the box of Lego. And I scatter the the Lego over, it just goes absolutely everywhere, all over the sheet, just hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And the thing I realized about Thomas, I was thinking about this, is that he likes to build by himself. But most of the time, he'll say to me, "Dad, can you come and build with me? Dad, why don't you build with me?" And he loves sitting down and saying, "You know, Dad, can you please, please come and do some Lego with me?" So I sit down, and we build together. And so we have two options in life. We can build alone or we can build with our Heavenly Father. God wants to build with us. He wants to be with us and build with us. And sometimes it's easy just to kind of go off and and build alone. But the real heart is to say, tomorrow morning, wherever you end up and whatever you're doing, God, I wanna build with you. Today, I will partner with God. The second point is, God, today I will remember the brevity of human life. Today, i remember the brevity of human life. One of the reasons I love the Bible is that it's honest, especially the Psalms. Psalms are very honest about the human condition. And in Psalm 90, Moses pulls no punches. He says human beings, he uses the analogy of grass, and he says we're like grass. We grow up, and then we're all new, and we're all fresh, and then we wither, and eventually we die. He's pretty hard-hitting. He talks about the fact that there is death, that there is pain, that there is distress in our world. And it's, you know, and it's true, I recently went to that Body Worlds exhibition, amazing exhibition, 45 million people have seen this exhibition down at the Hilton at the moment and it just explores the human body, it's amazing. And I went to see this exhibition and I just realized how, number one, how amazing God made the human body. I mean, you couldn't actually go through that exhibition and come out the other end and not think that there was a creator. That just the design of the human body is extraordinary. But I also realized how fragile the human body is and actually how vulnerable we are in this this universe. And so the best analogy to explain all of this, the brevity of human life, of course, is cricket. The best way to explain it. um, Bernard Shaw was a famous atheist who hated cricket. In fact, um, Bernard Shaw wrote this, the English are not very spiritual people, so they invented cricket to give them some idea of eternity. Um, (laughs) Bernard Shaw, Shaw, being a staunch atheist, he was wrong about a lot of things, including cricket. I like the Duke of Dorset who said, what is life but a game of cricket? Cricket is a brilliant analogy because the day we're born, you're given a bat and you're told to go out into the middle and play the shots. You are there, out there in the middle and you can play a range of shots. The goal is to score as many runs as possible, hopefully not to run anyone out in the process. But the idea is that every day you're out there in the middle batting and trying to score runs. But, you know, one day your number will come up. One day death will come. One day, you'll have to head back to the pavilion. One day, it might be an LBW, leg before wicket. It might be caught behind. It might be caught in the outfield. But one day, our number will come up. And you know, the thing about human beings is we forget that. We forget the brevity of human life. But Moses said in Psalm 90, in fact, he talks, our days may come to 70 years or 80. We don't know, Moses says. But let's not forget the brevity of human life. This all came home to me recently when, a client of mine who um, I built a relationship with and discipled, he had severe brain cancer, kind of five tumors, he fought this thing for two years. But six weeks ago, I was coaching Connor's cricket team, love cricket, and um, I got a text saying, Simon, you've gotta come down to the hospice, which is in Glendary, close to the cricket ground at the time. I came down and the thing about my client is that he was an Ironman type guy. I mean, um, just an extraordinarily fit guy. And as I saw him, he had stopped speaking and kind of, you know, everything was just um, blown up out of proportion, if you like. The cancer just totally riddled his body. And I remember just praying for him and, just, um, and he'd committed his life to Christ only um, some months before as we were kind of talking about faith and things. It was an amazing story, which I won't go into fully, but all i say is I, I prayed for him and then I stepped out to get something for my car and, and he was gone. At the funeral, which was about 120 non-Christians at the funeral, by the way, and he said to me, um, we said to his partner, sorry, who passed this on to me before he stopped talking, that when Simon leads the funeral, he needs to give a full kind of, you know, gospel message, which is fantastic. So I went hard out. Um, <laughs> but um, the thing about it at the funeral, and we had all these non Christians, you know, reading Psalm 23 and John 14, all the rooms that, you know, God is for you. It was such an amazing time. And the thing, as I said, my message at the funeral was, you know, Greg, has, he had this Iron Man body. But the Bible promises that one day he'll be given a new body. Because in this life, our body does break down. In this life, death will actually come. But the promises, of course, of a new body, so I did a whole kind of sermon on that and kept them for hours. But the thing is, is that Psalm 90 is a reminder, don't forget the brevity of human life. Don't waste time, partner with what God wants to do in your world tomorrow. Thirdly, today I, my schedule, my third point is, today my schedule will be shaped by God's unfailing love. Today my schedule will be shaped by God's unfailing love. <clears throat> you know, this is where I tie in with what Bex was saying before, have you ever had those moments in the morning where you just totally feel overwhelmed by what's about to come that day? Maybe you've got meetings that you're anxious about, assignments, a difficult situation. Maybe you just think, my gosh, why did I load my schedule so much? Why did I just fill it up? It's gone, you might feel like you're this kind of emotionally exhausting schedule. You know, depression and anxiety are rampant in our society. I've just almost finished John Kerwin's book, um, All Blacks Don't Cry, and it's quite an extraordinary book talking about his struggle with depression and the fact that the thing that he struggled with mostly was his fear of failure, which gave rise for him to that that depression. Johnny Wilkinson, only a few weeks ago, the famous English footballer came out talking about his battle of depression. This weekend, Ryan Reynolds, the actor, came out about his um, issues with anxiety. And this is the beautiful thing about Psalm 90, because God knows the human condition. And Psalm 90 says that right there in the morning, First thing, verse 14, God, satisfy us us in the morning with your unfailing love. I love that. God, satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love. I might be overwhelmed about what's gonna happen today, about what I've gotta kind of get through today, but God, I start this morning satisfied with your unfailing love. Because you know what? I wake up in the morning sometimes when I have moments I'm a lawyer, I'm a partner in my firm. I have a lot of pressures and expectations. I have moments I think, man, God, I'm, I'm toast today. Um, I have moments when I think, man, I'm gonna fail this client. What if my mediation goes belly up? What if I get this hearing wrong? What if we get sued? What if I get sued for negligence? Here's the thing, and I say, God, even if I fail, I thank you, God, that my identity is not built on my failure, it's built on your unfailing love. That's where my identity is found. And that means that I can step out into my day with courage and have no fear like said, prayed because my security is in his unfailing love. The very first thought in my morning is, God, I need your unfailing love because my schedule will be shaped and guided by that. The other thing we do as human beings, if you're like me, is I try to cheat the clock, I try to beat the clock, and I try to pack as much into my schedule as absolutely possible. And, and you know what I realize is because I want to please people, I want to please all these relentless clients and, and try and fit as much in as possible. And then I realize, God, do you know what? I don't need to please a whole bunch of people if in the morning I'm satisfied with your unfailing love. Because my identity is not formed on whether people like me or don't, whether I please them because I say yes or I don't. My identity starts with God's unfailing love. His love never, ever fails. Today, I will, final point, today I will expect God's favor on my work. Today I will expect God's favor on my work. Right at the end there, verse 17, Moses prays, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a great point. I mean, I use the word expect deliberately because so often we, we disconnect God from our work. We we turn the lights off in church tonight and we go off into our lives and we disconnect God from our work. But that's so wrong because the most the most powerful way God can love your neighbor is through you and the way you conduct yourself in the workplace, the way you live your life out there in the workplace. I mean imagine working at a call center. I used to work at a call center years and years ago and people were ringing me up and it was one of these local council call centers before they became the city, you know, the big super council thing. And um and I remember people ringing me up, and I think, you know, there's a whole bunch of customer service reps who could be tired and grumpy and irritable with those customers. But, you know, being a Christian call center rep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually love those people at the other end of the phone. I'm gonna um, do my job with a different spirit and somehow through the way I interact with people demonstrate God's love because that is where God has placed me right here, right now. You might be a call center rep here tonight. You may be an administrator. You may be going to uni, whatever it might be. God wants to love your neighbor through the way you do life in your workplace, your uni, wherever it is. That's how God loves, his na- loves, our, loves our neighbors. And that's what we forget. God um, is there right with us in work. Two, in two weeks' time, we are hosting the New Zealand Christian Lawyers Conference, the second one here at Elam. Our last year, we had 130 lawyers here. And you know, the prayer we pray for all of the Christian lawyers, we're gonna have judges speaking and a whole bunch of, we've got the dean of one of the law schools speaking. We have all these Christian lawyers in the room. And I know you might think Christian lawyer doesn't really work. You know, there's the joke about the, the, the Christian lawyer that died and there was two graves, one for the Christian, one for the lawyer. But here's the thing, <laughs> here is the thing. Here is the thing, we pray for God's favor on our practice as lawyers so that God, through our practice, can demonstrate his mercy, demonstrate his grace, and demonstrate his justice, because we can pray and believe for God's favor on our practice. The Bible is full of little stories about people in their workplaces. You might not know but there's a little story even about midwives. There's a beautiful story in Exodus chapter two where the Pharaoh says to these midwives, you know, when you give um, assist with the birth of a child, if it's a boy, I want you to kill him. And these midwives say, stick it to your Pharaoh. And they, and you know what the Bible says in, um, in Exodus one verse, chapter, t- chapter one verses 20, 21. So God was kind to the midwives and showed them favor And the people of God increased in number, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. It's a great little story. But you know, in our workplaces, God can show us his favor, but do you expect God's favor in your workplace tomorrow? Are you just gonna turn up to work, punch in and clock out, and do what you gotta do to get through your day? Or are you gonna say, today, God, I'm gonna start believing for your favor? And God's favor is not there to give you success, but to show others his glory. God wants to give you his favor in your work so that others will see his glory. And when you survey the Bible, favor is not automatic. The favor of God, normally, it's, you know, I looked at a whole bunch of Bible characters, and normally there were two things in their life that, that, that were there which kind of came before God's favor. And one, one, the first point is expectation. They actually believed that God was deeply interested in their lives, their work, and what they were doing. They had an expectation. And secondly, they were prepared to do the right thing like the midwives in those circumstances, whether it was Joseph or Esther or Nehemiah or Ezra, in all their situations, with all the projects and all the jobs they had, they were prepared to do the right thing. And because of those two things, because they were expectant and because they were prepared to do the right thing, God showed um, his favor. I'll just get the um, the band to come up. and finish um, with a couple of them. Um, there was a great, you may not know this, but... Farmers was founded by a famous Christian, a visionary businessman by the name of Robert Laidlaw. And if you have not read the book, Man For Our Time, you should definitely read that book. It's compulsory reading, I think, for Christians, my humble opinion. In 1909, he was revolutionary. He invented the first mail order business. The idea of a mail order catalog coming to a house in 1909 was just like, wow, that's, that's kind of like revolutionary. And he started a company called Laidlaw Leeds. This eventually became Farmers in 1918. But the great thing about Laidlaw is he believed that God could bless him in his business in farmers and that he'd expand the business. In fact, the famous story goes that in 1909, he prayed to God and he said, God, I'm gonna give you 10% of my income as my tithe, but here's the thing, God, if you show me your favor, if you bless the business we've got here at Farmers, I will give you more and more and I'll just increase. And so by the end of his life, he was giving away 50% of his income. Laidlaw was an extraordinary man. In fact, he went further. In 1911, he started the Optimist magazine. Every farmer's employee got a magazine once a month from Robert Laidlaw, the head of Farmers, the Optimist magazine, and in it, he basically shared his faith. He went further. He decided that he would write a very famous tract. In 1914, he wrote a tract called The Reason Why, which he gave to all the people that came in and out of farmers. This guy was extraordinary. But what, the thing about Laidlaw is he was expecting that God would demonstrate his favor on his work there at Farmers. And then of course it expanded to what we have today. So my thought is, how will you spend your time? My challenge tonight is that you would think differently about time, not time as a unit to be spent, not I'm gonna have to kind of complete, go to, my, go to uni tomorrow and do my lecture, or I've gotta go to my job tomorrow and complete that task list that's sitting on my desk. Or I've gotta return those emails. We start with today, I will partner with you, God, and what you are doing in the world. Today, I will remember the brevity of human life. Today, God, I will not start with anxiety and, 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 and stress about what's coming up. God, today, I will kind of let my schedule be shaped by your unfailing love. And today, God, I will expect your favor on my work, not for my success, but for your glory, that you might expand my work so that I could bless others, that you could use me to bless others, and to wind it all up. Let me tell you a secret that you don't know about me, and that is I used to play the trumpet And much to my mum's sadness, I don't play the trumpet anymore. She spent a lot of money on private tuition, so I would become a famous trumpet player. But I was hopeless at trumpet. That's why you never see me in the carols up here or brass at Christmas time, because I'm hopeless. And the thing about playing a trumpet is I played in a lot of orchestras, heaps of orchestras. And... It can be extremely boring playing in an orchestra a trumpet because often you know the violins are going and the clarinets and the woodwind and you're just sitting there waiting for your time waiting 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 and then you just like you know have a few notes and then it's back to just waiting so, so if I've really sold being an orchestra and playing a trumpet well good on me but um here's the thing the key to keeping an orchestra together is to do two things one remember that you have a part in the orchestra I have to practice each week so that I'm ready when I come to the orchestra When we all come together. But the real secret for an orchestra to stay together is the conductor, right? Because he stands there at the lectern with his baton and he holds his baton and everyone basically should keep their eyes on the baton. And that's how the orchestra basically keeps in time, right? So everyone just doesn't do their own thing. And I was thinking about that tonight because you know tomorrow morning you'll wake up and there'll be, a, there'll be a script in front of you. What you gotta do tomorrow, looking after the kids, going to work, going to uni, whatever it might be. But my challenge tonight is that you won't just look at the script like we did as trumpet players. We'd look just over the music script and see the conductor, see his bat and see God and say, God, you're there, right there behind my script. I will keep my eyes on you. Today I will partner with you, God. God, use me today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Psalm 90. We thank you for Moses and that wonderful prayer. And I pray for all of my friends here today, that Lord God, you'd help us, God, to let these attitudes really kind of bear fruit in our lives. The truth is, Lord, we we struggle to keep our eyes on you, the conductor. We can get so tied up with the daily tasks, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lift our eyes tonight above the music, above the script and help us to see you, Father. Oh God, I pray you'd partner I pray that we would partner with you, God, tomorrow. We just bless you, Lord. And I pray there'd be stories coming out, Father, from people here tonight who are partnering with you, seeing great things happening in their life. Yes, they have a script in front of them and tasks to complete. But beyond all that, I pray that you would do great work and they would partner with you in that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand with